Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Dogs Program once more. Yes, I've been away on a holiday for a while, but now I'm back here on the Dogs Program. It's Rob here. Um, we are the Defenders of Government Schools, D-O-G-S. Um, we've been on the dogs now. We've been on the dogs now for years and decades and years and decades. Um, almost 30 years, I think, isn't it, Jane? Yes, 1987. More than 30 years. We've been on the, we've been on the air at 3CR for more than 30 years because uh, we have to be, unfortunately, we have to defend government schools because no one else seems to do the job. That's okay. We're up for the job. And today we'll be talking about the numbers, talking about the money. We'll also be talking about ideas. Um, things have been swirling around now for a month about this whole, you know, whether a gay gay teacher or a gay student or an LBGTQI school funding government. It's a huge mess, actually. Um, it's one of those things where the government shot themselves in the face by bringing out some of my very powerful ideas and Australia discovering, in fact, that we have all these laws that we're not particularly happy with. Um, but we'll be talking about that later in the program. But let's talk about let's talk about the numbers to start with. Let's talk about this whole sort of Gonski 2.3.0, 1 point, whatever it is supposed to be. I wish people would stop talking about euphemisms. Um, Gonski is all about the government giving money to schools. It gives money to public schools and it gives money to private schools. Private schools are run in a marketplace for the benefit of private institutions and are tangentially involved in the education of students and the government gives organisations money for that. Um, we don't think that's a good idea and Jean's got something to say about it in her press release. Press release number... 767 on our website at www.adogs.info. I'm sorry that the website's been a bit difficult in the last week, but um, our server has been making sure that it is secure. I think that there were some gremlins in the woodwork, which I suppose means that we must have been making an impact somewhere. Anyway, this is press release 767. Private schools cornering the market in needfulness. Not need, needfulness. Current billions funnelled into the private education industry by our Lib Lab politicians is a continuation of continual lobbying for the private education sector's market share of needfulness. Genuine need for disadvantaged children has got nothing to do with it. Our Lib Lab politicians caved in to religious lobbyists in the 1970s and abandoned the century-old no-state-aid policy with its corollary of separation of church and state in Australia. The smokescreen, because that's all it is, for the pouring of millions, then billions of money into inefficient, wealthy and never-to-be-satisfied religious coffers has been a series of failed need policies. Need for religious schools has long since become code for needfulness. Religious schools are not for the poor and disadvantaged. Admittedly, religious orders like the Christian Brothers were set up for the children of the poor in Ireland, but we're now discovering that in Ireland and Australia, these people preyed upon defenceless children. Private schools have always opposed free, secular and universal education. They have always discriminated against students and teachers on the basis of creed, class, sexuality and anything else 
that offends their value system. And they're welcome to do that, so long as they're genuinely private. Yes, Jean, I think the welcome to do that is an important point to be made by the, by the dogs here on this radio program. If they're um, private, they don't take public money. If they don't take public private. money, and if people have sincere whatever beliefs, if, if they wish to have, for instance, um, a safe space for people of the same gender or a safe space for people of the same whatever, because that's what they want, I think such things um, are important. Indeed. In a place like Australia, and if the, if the reason for people gathering is a religious reason, I think there's all sorts of all sorts of historical precedents why it's a really good idea to let people do that if that's what they choose to do. However, and the point that you made, it's a very important one. It's key to what we've been talking about for over 30 years, is that people are free to do that. They're not free to take my money to pay for it. In fact, the money that I give in terms of taxes, uh, I give for the benefit of all, not for not for a particular religious group, not for, um, or even a particular men's only shed group or, or, or a women's only group or any particular thing that is exclusive and discriminatory. Discrimination is an important aspect of people living together comfortably. You know, I, I consider myself a discriminating person. Um, I shouldn't be forced to be friends with anyone I don't like. It, it's quite simple at that level. But I think the whole question of taxpayers' money being spent um, to reinforce the discrimination is now very much coming to the fore in the current debate. Sorry to disturb you, Jean, there. I think it's an important point to make. It took hundreds of years of people being burnt at the state to establish the principle of freedom of conscience. Uh, and um, the freedom of conscience is not to be paid for. It's to be free from state interference so you don't take public money. And that's why uh, people who have a certain view of separation of church and state and who are Christian would quote Christ, you give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God, what are God's. Okay, um, now these private schools, unfortunately, that call themselves religious and have values, welcome free enterprise and marketeering and lobbying for advantage and lack of accountability for public money. Demands for ever more billions merely reflect their needfulness in a resource race for market share of wealthy and aspirational Australian parents. Morrison's latest cash splash is evidence of their lobbying power at public expense because the lobbying, robocalls and what have you, has almost certainly been paid for at public expense. Since the 1970s, public schools who have been de deprived of basic facilities have watched in disbelief as funding they require for their disadvantaged students and 80% of the disadvantaged students in Australia go to public schools has been diverted into wealthy schools. The Catholic sector, forever crying poor, are demanding their market share of the Olympic swimming pools, sporting ovals and wellness centres in the wealthy Protestant schools. The basic problem is education of our Australian children is not and should not be placed at the whim of marketeering in needfulness. There are disadvantaged children in need of a first-class education in Australia but they are in the public system. Now, some of the people who are in the public sector and are fighting for public schools have known this, like the dogs, for many years. But new groups that are doing a wonderful job, like the Save Our Schools and other public school supporters, are mourning the demise of the latest version of the needs policy, the so-called Gonski model, which has been made a mishmash of. Uh, by Morrison's latest exercise and the Labor Party, of course, will follow him. Now, their financial analysis is very valuable and Robert will be telling us all about it very shortly and it's reproduced on our website. But their premise is mistaken. A genuine needs policy is not and never has been possible because 
these people have always rorted the system. The religious people who claim that they have values have always, from 1972, from 1969, if you like, to the present, have always rorted the system. And the, this has recently come into the public domain. The Auditor Generals, believe it or not, have actually eventually, at the dog's insistence, been doing their job in both the state and the federal government level. Uh, but this all goes to prove, if needs policies are not possible, public funds should only be for public schools and private schools should be left to their market, which for many of them, those who are um, neoliberals, this market is laid up in heaven. Uh, and one would wonder about the God that they worship there. Okay, uh, Robert, over to you with some facts and figures from Save Our Schools. No worries. Thanks very much, Jane. You're listening to The Dog's Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's good to have your company. Um, we'll be back after this. Celebrate International Day of People with Disability at the Victorian Disability Sport and Recreation Festival. With over 30 exhibitors and three activity zones, come and try different inclusive sports, meet Paralympians and watch the AFL Wheelchair Challenge. This is a free, accessible, family-friendly event. Monday the 3rd of December from 10 till 3pm at Crown River Walk. For more information, visit dsr.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Excellent. We're planning such a good time with you, Freddie. Come to the screening of Bohemian Rhapsody on Thursday, November the 8th from 6.30pm at Palace Westgarth Cinemas and have a real good time with Freddie Mercury and Queen. Tickets are 25 full. $20 concession online at 3cr.org.au or from the station, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. You can also call 9419 during business hours. All funds raised go to keeping 3CR on air. If you want to have a good Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Well, disability sports and going and see a Freddie Mercury movie to raise some funds for 3CR. It's a good idea as far as I'm concerned. And I'm sure as far as you're concerned too, if you've got the time. Um, look, Jim was saying that I was going to promise about facts and figures. Um, yeah, I have to, I suppose, because that's what we're kind of half famous for here at the Dogs Program, delving into things at a sort of micro level, because you don't get that opportunity to do so in the, in the mainstream media. Um, Trevor Cobalt in Canberra at Save Our Schools Organisations back on deck um, after a bit of a holiday, which is nice. And um, he's responding to, oh, I don't know, you'd, you'd get tired of saying the same old thing, but um, the major political parties in Australia are beholden to the religious lobby. Just say it. <laughs> um, we're supposed to be, I don't know. Um, as far as a lot of people are concerned, we live in a secular democracy. As far as the Australian uh, Christian Association is concerned, we do not. Um, Australia is not a secular country, according to them in their latest press release. Um, we're, we're, in fact, a free country um, based upon Christian values. And, as, as a, and because of this, of course, that means that $4.6 extra billion have to go to church-run schools. And it's not just Christian schools, but all church-run schools or religious-run schools, according to... Um, what Scott Morrison's on about when it comes to this whole business of, well, what Jim's talking about in terms of the needs policy. Um, the needs policy, I think, can be summed up by saying, started out as try and give stuff to kids that need it and ends up as give money to organisations that demand it. Mm-hmm. And the organisations that are screaming the loudest at both the Liberal and Labor parties um, well, at the moment, um, I have to say it, and I don't like to be sectarian in the way I express things, but it is the singular 
um, Catholic Church. They're up there lobbying, and they just got themselves $4.6 billion very happily from the federal government by threatening Threatening both political parties, saying, well, you better give us what we want, or we'll make sure neither of you are elected. I think they're even more powerful than the coal industry. I think they're the well, most powerful about, lobbying group in Australia. If you they? think about the, Ill, the illogicality of that, the Catholic Church says, I'm, we, we better do what we say, or we'll, we'll make sure that neither of the two major parties get into government. That's what, and, and for some reason, <laughs> for some reason, the political parties are going, oh, all right, well, we'll do whatever you say. It's well, kind Probably plenty of alt-right candidates out there that take up the um, take up the sword for them. Yeah, it's 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 a bit weird, isn't it, Dale? I mean, mm. things aren't what they used to be. You know, mm-hmm. Australia, when this whole sort of anti-establishment bit, which I grew up with, which is <laughs> don't bother learning the words to the national anthem because people who go around parroting the national anthem's words are a bit suspicious. <laughs> And these, these days it's kind of the opposite. If you don't know the words of the national anthem, you're a bit suspicious. You're probably some kind of anarchic terrorist. I don't know. <laughs> it's all a bit weird, though. I have to agree. Anyway, um, Trevor Cobalt um, does not indulge in speculation like I do here on the radio. <laughs> and so I'm now going to talk about what Trevor Cobalt says because he's the, least, specu- yes, he's the least speculative guy I know. And he's a very good writer. And he writes on Friday, October the 12th as part of his press release for the Save Our Schools organisation. He says the Gonski funding model was systematically dismantled by the Abbott and Turnbull governments and was almost dead and buried by the end of Turnbull's reign. The Morrison government immediately put more nails in Gonski's coffin with a new special deal of $4.6 billion for private schools that has got nothing to do with need. The whole needs, they didn't even bother to say, oh, we have to give this money to the private schools because they need it. They said, we're going to give this money to the private schools because, dot, dot, dot. They demand it. They demanded it and they got it. Now, the new special deal, and this is where Trevor Cobble gets into the nits and the grits of it, the new special deal has two main components. Uh, firstly, an additional $3.6 billion over 10 years from 2020 to 2029 to implement a new method of assessing capacity to pay in private schools, and an addition of $1.2 billion over the same period to support parent choice. So none of these things are actually about educating kids. This money, this $4.6 billion, I'll say it again, is to, one, support parent choice, and two, to implement a new method of assessing capacity to pay. The deal is a result of a ruthless campaign by the Catholic Church and its school organisations that divided the private school sector and, indeed, the government itself. Now, this was supported completely and unambiguously and very unprincipledly um, by the Labor Party. Yep, no, they're there and they say, yeah, go for your life, which forced the Turnbull government into an electoral corner. Morrison brought peace with the Catholic and independent sectors by just giving them $4.6 billion. There you go. Shut up. Go oh, on. and kicking Birmingham sideways. Yep. As the former New South Wales Minister for Education and now Director of the Gonski Institute, Adrian Piccoli said... This is a purely political fix to shut down the powerful lobby group. And Bill Shorten proudly took credit for the increase to the private school sector. He says, we've won the money for the Catholic sector, he said. Yeah, the deal further undermines the principles of need-based funding in, in several ways, actually. This, this money it just cuts across everything. It's just so unprincipled. A $3.2 billion increase in supposedly to implement a new direct household income measure of parents' capacity to pay in private schools. But there's no details available to show how it's based on the measure needed. There's, there's no details as to why this... This is just money for nothing. Um, it is a negotiated settlement. The details of the new measure of assessing capacity to pay have not even been decided, and therefore it's impossible to judge how much money you'd want to spend anyway. So they've just made up a number because they don't know what they're going to do yet. The $1.2 billion increase selectively favours private schools in rural areas over public schools and enables the Catholic school to maintain low fees in well-off inner-city areas. As many commentators have observed, it's simply a slush fund. Nothing else. $1.2 billion slush fund from me given to Catholic schools in the inner urban areas of Australia. When I say me, it's because I pay tax. 
Um, it involves no new school will lose a dollar guarantee for Catholic and independent schools. The slush fund appears to be designed to compensate the Catholic sector for the loss of its generous system-weighted average funding arrangements and to compensate the independent schools for a reduction in funding resulting in the shift to direct income measures of capacity to pay. So what they're doing, they're saying, is that the new Gonski model might take away some money from Catholic schools and take away some money from... Might, but don't worry, we're going to give you more money that we're taking away to compensate you for the money that we might take away. It's exactly the same as in 1973 when the Carmel Committee said that there were Class A, Class B and Class C schools and suddenly the Class A schools were in danger of losing money. So Mr Beasley said, don't worry, don't worry. We'll have another look at it and we'll reclassify you so you don't need to lose any money. They have. Getting, taking any money from these schools or these systems is worse than trying to take someone's tooth out. Uh, no, they should never have been given I'm going to disagree with you, Jen. I'm going to disagree. I actually think it's much, much worse than that. They're, they're not even bothering talking about A's and B's and C's or classifying or even talking around the point. They're saying, oh, no, no, we'll just give you money because we're going to take money away because it compensates you for the money. We're, what? The opposite to, of need. The opposite to, of need. Just to shut them up. Hmm. The Wentworth um, by-election. Yeah. Oh, by the way, as part of this package, there is no funding increase for public schools at all. No. No. They which, which by the way, enrol um, over 90% of disadvantaged students. So this whole funding agreement, it's as though the public school system doesn't exist. Certainly the federal government or the Labor Party or Bill Shorten or Scott Morrison or whatever, they don't. And I'm talking about that. Oh, no, no, no. Shorten has got the sense to start talking about perhaps buying off a very, very angry uh, state school lobby. Well, that's what's happening in the state election. Yes. But even that is, 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 is more complicated. Yes. Now, the changes in the measure of parents' capacity to pay to private schools. Let, let's talk about this $3.2 billion, which has gone for something they don't even know what it's all on about yet. Now, this money, this component of the funding increase, is supposedly to implement a new measure of parent capacity to pay. It was reported that Catholic schools will receive more than this, but it will be slightly offset by the reduction in funding of independent schools. However, the increase is a negotiated deal decided before they know what the measure is, or to assess the capacity to pay has been determined. The government's effective minute has not decided on a measure that's going to be used, but they're just going to give them the money anyway. Now, last year, this is really going into the details, the government commissioned a review of the methodology used to determine the SES score by the National School Resourcing Board. Now, this is determined certain schools that come from, you know, whenever I talk about quartiles, you know, the lowest quartile, the highest quartile, all those numbers come from a measure and a methodology. Now, the report recommended the changing of this assessment of capacity to contribute to household income. The report showed that the area-based measure significantly overstates the SES score and the capacity to contribute of some schools and understates others. Now, what that means is the SES score is done postcode to postcode. So if you have a wealthy school, a wealthy private school in a poor area, they get a lot of money because the area is poor, not the student's and not the parents in their school. In fact, the students and the parents have self-selected in the Australian context out of poverty by choosing to pay for um, a private school education because they fundamentally have the capacity. And at this point, I'm not going to have the argument, oh, some poor parents struggle to pay for private school fees and they should be rewarded because they're taking a burden off the task. All of that, all of that doesn't make any sense anymore. All of that's now just a lie. Every time you hear someone on the radio say, oh, the private schools save everyone money and the parents who send their kids to private schools are saving taxpayers money and, and they're struggling really hard. And they're costing us far too much. Yeah. That's, that's all just now functionally, in terms of dollars and cents, no longer true, if it ever was. And it's certainly not true now. So what they're doing is they're going to make it more granular. They're going to say, not, let's not talk about your postcode, let's talk about your family. Let's talk about your tax return. Your tax return determines your capacity to pay for the school that you send your child to. Now, this is big data. <laughs> this is really big data. Now, the government has this. The, this. the Australian Taxation Office has this data. Of course, you put your tax return in if you pay for it, and off you go. Now, this will be available to private companies. 
who are run in, 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 in the context of Australia uh, by churches in many cases. So the private company that runs the private school, uh, which is tax-free, just by the way, because it's a religious charity of some form or other, um, these organisations are then forced to report the incomes of the... So this is, this is, as far as I'm concerned, a pretty serious issue when it comes to big data use. I'm not very keen on it myself. Um, I'm sure many many listeners wouldn't be keen on this either. Yes, well, I'd be a bit concerned about um, privacy issues if I was a private school uh, parent. However, all that you might find out in this big data, Robert, is how how well these parents actually minimise their income, their taxable income. Well, not only that... Is it going to be the taxable income or their real income that we're going to find out about? Oh, I don't know, Jean. I just don't know because I haven't made out the measure yet. But they're saying that when they do this measure, they're likely to find out that the parents of children in private schools are going to have higher incomes than the parents of children in state schools, and which means that their funding in that school will go down. But don't worry because Scott Morrison has already said your funding won't go down because we've given you $3.2 billion dollars to compensate for the fact that your parents might be wealthier than they're currently measured at the moment. And this is supposed to be a needs-based system we have in Australia. It's absolutely crazy. Now, let's get to the $1.2 billion, which is the Choice and Affordability Fund by Morrison and, 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 and Shorten. It's a Choice Fund. I don't even know what that means. Well, it's to support school choice in inner, city, rural, remote and drought-affected areas. The Minister for Education, Dan Tan, told the parent that the fund is to, and I quote, this is the minister, the new minister, Dan Tan, ensure right across Australia that parents have the ability to have choice, an affordable choice, whether they're in an inner city area or whether they're in a rural, remote space, we want to ensure that choice is there. So choice is more important than good education as far as they're concerned. So they want to make sure that if you're in a small country town, there are at least two schools to choose from, a private school and a public school. So they're going to put money into making sure that for 20 kids in a rural community, there are two schools. How can they be certain it will be used for that and not for further lobbying to get I more money? I don't even care if it is used for that. That is... You're spending money to duplicate existing services for no good reason. Because choice, I'm reading choice as duplicate. Because when you're talking about regional and remote and in the bush, you've got a good state school and all of a sudden you get this brand new private school built next to it so that both schools have half the number of kids and therefore that's economic. No. That is $1.2 billion duplication fund. It's not even economic. It's craziness. And also dividing the community that needs all of its community resources to survive mm. in the drought. Oh, of course. Um, look, Trevor Cabell goes on to say that this fund undermines the Gunsky funding model by selectively making additional funding available for private schools in rural and remote areas, but not for public schools. So if there is an area where they need a public school, that is a school that is not exempt from the laws of the country, that will enrol everyone and is free, secular and universal, there's no money for that. But there will be money for a private school which is exempt from the laws of the country and can enrol or not enrol anyone it damn well chooses because it's a private company and it's exempt from the law. And what about all of the families who currently are forced to homeschool their children with the correspondence schools, uh, you know, distance education, because there is no school for them yeah. in the local community? Yeah. Now, this isn't pie in the sky. This just happened. This is real. This is what Morrison's all about. And do you know what? I say, well, don't, don't vote for Morrison. Vote for the... Don't, what was it? What's his name? Shorten. Vote for, no. No. They're more interested in buying off the religious lobby than they are in getting votes, it seems. It really is, because 80% of the disadvantaged students in Australia go into government schools, and 60% of the population are educated in government schools. Neither of these people care about any of those. None of this extra money goes to a single public school at all. Craziness. Anyway, more after this.
Oh, piano. Concerto. Play badly and fast. Good fun. It's a sonata. Oh, sorry, it wasn't a concerto at all because there's no orchestra, was there? Silly me. No, it's a piano sonata. It was lovely. Played, played fast and cheered me up because it needs to cheer me up because I'm about to go into something that, um, something's not very cheery at all. Um, often here at the Dogs Program we go back deep into history because you know, what is it? Those who do not take attention to history are doomed to repeat it and those who do pay attention to history are doomed to watch other people repeat it. <laughs> But nevertheless, it's worth pointing out that um, several hundred years ago, a very large number of people died. Um, and they didn't die because there was a famine. They didn't die because there was a plague. and They, didn't, they died because there was a war. And there was a war of dun, 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 religion. There were wars, in fact. They went over and over and round and round. There was 30 years of them, and they called the 30 Years' War. And then there was this's and that's's, and there was a reformation and a counter-reformation. And everyone got really hot under the collar. And at the end of it, so many people had died in these wars of religion that everyone said, oh, look, can you just stop it? <laughs> Most of us are dead. Can we just stop this now? I know. Let's take the whole idea of what someone believes and take it out of the public sphere. Let's take it away from the armies. Let's take it away from the governments and put it into the consciences and the souls of individuals. And so people can then believe sincerely and genuinely in what they want to believe in and that does not become a matter of someone pulling out a gun and shooting someone else. In fact, a government pulling out a whole heap of guns and shooting a whole heap of other people. Let's not have any wars of religion anymore. And so they had this, I mean, Jean can tell you much more about this than I can, but in, in general terms, the English-speaking world and, and the European world and lots of other worlds said, look, let's just not kill each other over this. I'll bear in mind there was lots of people on the planet at the time that weren't living in Europe or England um, that would have looked on askance saying, why are you killing each other? Because of our religion. Okay, fine. Anyway, that was several hundred years ago. And Australia as a nation was not yet existent at that time. But there was a memory of these wars of religion when Australia was founded. And one of the things that our founding, you know, I quite call them mothers and fathers, our founding mothers and fathers said, well, let's not do that again. That was just a bit silly. Let's not have arguments about religion in the public sphere. Let's not get armies and governments and taxes involved in any of this silliness because people have sincere and very heartfelt beliefs about the nature of religion and they should feel free, free is the word, free to express those views um, themselves, but not as part of what you would normally call a, a um, what's the word for a society that's based around religion, Jean? Um, theocracy. A theocracy. Not as a theocracy. There'll be, there'll be no government god. Um, that, that, that was the plan. And in Australia, we've been sort of more or less jumping up and down um, on the grave of theocracies for, for some time in Australia because we don't, we don't really go for any of that sort of stuff. We thought that we'd solved the problem. We thought that we'd solved the problem back in 1901 with Section 116 of our Constitution, Robert. Mm. And there's a very interesting uh, um, letter to the Australian, the Australian of all things this week, um, two very interesting letters, Wednesday, October the 17th. Michael Green of St Kilda wrote, there's a good reason the First Amendment of the United States Constitution covers freedom of religion, speech, the press and out of assembly in a single sentence. Here in Australia we just deal with freedom of religion in section 116. Um, and there's a good reason why anti-discrimination advocacy focus on, focuses on sex race and disability because these latter sex, race and disability are what I am issues but freedom of religion and freedom of speech are what I think issues the problem that we're confronted with in Australia at the moment is that we have a diversity of bodies from all lands But the question is, are they all of the same mind with one voice? So we actually have to deal with this. And the only way we can deal with it is if we keep the religious people who want to impose their values on other people separate from the law of the land.
and it's becoming increasingly difficult. And this has been brought very much to the head by Mr. Raddick and his religious... It's, it's like yes. we forgot. It's like, oh, no, hang on. We, oh, no, hang on. In the last month or so in Australia, people have been hanging their heads. People who know have been shaking their heads going, oh, come on. We sorted this out. Why, why are we having this conversation? And I'll tell you why we're having this conversation. They've dug up the dead bodies, all right? Well, not that. They, Worse than that. No, more than that. Because in Australia now for two or three generations... The religious organisations that run schools in Australia have been caught in a lie. They've been telling a lie now for 20 or 30 years, and they finally, well, not finally, everyone knew what was going on, um, but they've been caught out as a matter of principle. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about. Um, I'm going to quote a little bit from an article here by Annette Pereira, who is the Executive Officer of the Australian Association for Christian Schools, because there are many Christian schools in Australia almost all of which, in fact, I think all of which, are funded by taxpayers. You know, they're Catholics, but they're just Christian schools. They are, they are religious schools of, of a Christian denomination. Now, for the vast majority of religious schools, she says, it is a shock to learn that they might be allowed to remove a student simply because of their sexual orientation. They had never considered that course of action. Now, I'm going to stop there, because the, one, the first thing she said in this article is a lie. It is just a straight-up lie. I'm going to read it again because she says, for the vast majority of religious schools it is a shock to learn that they might be allowed to remove a student simply because of their sexual orientation. No. I'm going to call this out because this needs to be called out because this is the lie upon which this dilemma is, 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 is founded. If you are someone who does not, by your being or by your actions, conform to the religiosity of a private school, you will be asked to leave. You will be put into a room with your parents and you will be told that your behaviour, or or indeed your being, is not consistent with the values of the school and you as a child should seek educational opportunities elsewhere. Usually in a state school, those of us who have taught in public schools have taught so many of these so-called rejects from these private schools. And now, they are so happy to be in a public school, I can tell you. Of course. Of course. Now, I'm going to say something probably quite controversial to many listeners here because I think if you have a religious school and the religious school is consists of people with sincere belief, sincere belief, and part of this sincere belief is that they think that people of a non-heterosexual sexuality, um, just, just by their very being, run counter to their religion, run counter to what it is that they sincerely believe, then um, I think they should be allowed to exclude that child, but I do not think that they should do that with any taxpayer's money at all. I think if you are in a church... And you're saying, I don't want my, um, my, my priest or my minister or my imam to be gay. I think that's a question for the group of people who hold those religious. I, I don't think that's any of my business because I'm not subsidizing it. But as soon as I pay money for oh, that actually, person's you are, salary. You are with, with indirect taxes. You are subsidizing our churches. But that's another oh, No, question. no, no, but I am. Uh, I, I, currently I am. But if I'm in a situ- if, if I'm in a situation where that is their business, if there is a private club that choose to do a number of things which I don't really want to do, um, they don't take any taxpayers' money. I've got no problem with that. I don't care if the club is religious or, or anything. That, that's not my point. In fact, that's freedom. I mean, that is a pluralist society. That is a world in which people should feel free to do what they want as long as they do not have the imprimatur of government taxation money because as soon as someone is paid by the government to make a decision based upon their religious values, then that decision has the imprimatur of the government itself. If I am a policeman and I am paid by the government to do my policing work, I tell you what to do as a policeman, and you have to do what I say because I am a representative and paid by the government to do so. If I'm indeed a teacher in a state school and I tell a child, look, you can't be doing that, because kicking that other kid's head in is not the right thing to do, 
for instance. Um, you have to listen to me when I say that because I am a representative. I am in loco parenti. I am a representative of the government. I say, can you stop doing that, please? And if you don't stop doing it, then we'll have a problem. So as soon as I'm paid by the government, I have a stamp in my hand saying, I'm doing it because I'm paid to do it. That is a responsibility that I take when I take the job. If I'm the principal of a private school and I say to a child, I'm afraid you're no longer welcome in this school because your very being is contrary to the values that we hold dear in this school and your educational opportunities should best be sought elsewhere, if I say those words, then what I'm saying has the imprimatur of the government that pays me because do not even begin to think otherwise. Taxpayers pay the salary of that principal. That principal is paid by me. And I am disgusted that that principal gets to say that. And I'm not making this up. I sat in those rooms. I sat in staff rooms where, 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 where teachers and principals and people of responsibility in private schools have laughed and joked about the distress of parents when they say, oh, no, no, but, no, but we really, 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 really are very much going to be much more Catholic in the future if we just let, let our child stay in the school, or we'll be much more Steiner, or we'll be much more Scientology, or whatever the denomination is of the school. I've, I've sat there and I've heard it. This, this happens every day. So the lie that I'm calling Annette out on, who was in fact who is in fact the executive officer of the Australian Association for Christian Schools. The lie I'm calling her is her very first sentence when she says, for the vast majority of religious schools, she says, it is a shock to learn that we might be allowed to remove students simply because of their sexual orientation. That's a, that's a lie. The whole point of these, these places being private is that they do get to choose who comes in the front gate. And the big difference between them and the public school is the public school can't do that. For example... Um, here's another letter. In The Australian, which is uh, Mr Murdoch's paper, so I'm surprised they even published it, but Alison Mackenzie of Bungador in New South Wales says, My granddaughter goes to Queen Beyond Public School. It takes all children, irrespective of race, religion and physical or mental ability or sexual orientation. Fancy them being even, even being concerned about the sexual orientation of children. I, I just wonder about these people. Uh, it does a great job and is worth every penny of its taxpayer funding. That's the public school. I would be seriously annoyed, she says, if my hard-earned tax dollars went towards a school that taught creation science or made a, a child uncomfortable because of the sexuality of the child of his or, of his or her parents. Religious schools are entitled to run as they please as long as they are prepared to fund themselves completely independently. Once they start taking public money, then the public expects them to abide by the same rules that govern other government-funded schools. Um, and that, I think, is becoming more and more the um, majority of people mm. in Australia. And I think that this um, whole sexuality issue has uh, brought them out in force. Well, I think the whole sexuality, yeah, it has. It, it's a strange way of getting to this old problem, this old 16th and 17th century problem, which goes back to the wars of religion. Mm. Now, what Annette here is saying I think is fascinating, and I'm going to paraphrase what she says. She says, look, this particular issue about, you know, gay or, le or lesbian or, or LBTQI plus students in schools. She says, it doesn't even exist. We, we never do it, which is a lie, of course, which has been demonstrated by me here on this program. But she says, this does, and I think she should be, she should be, um, she should be praised for actually bringing up the real problem, the underlying problem. She says, in a culture increasingly unfamiliar with religious conviction, it can be hard to understand what it is like to have religious faith, she says. Contrary to the stereotypes, faith usually means serious thought, regular self-examination, times of doubt and times of intellectual wrestle. It also means believing there is something beyond ourselves to which we have to refer when we are trying to understand what is true, what is right and what is just. Now, I cannot disagree with that. I know many people of sincere religious faith for all of those things which are true. I know many people who have no religious faith for which all of those things are true. However, she says, in practice this gets messy. 
Christians don't all agree on whether or not sex is exclusively reserved for married men and women, neither do all Muslims or Jews or secularists for that matter. Actually, I take, exem- I take exception. I have not yet to meet a secularist who considers um, seriously the problem about sex and sex outside of marriage. Um, I, maybe there's a few out there, I don't know, but there's very, very few. I do know a large number of religious people who do believe this is a topic of, for, for extensive discussion. Now, she says, for a religious community to function, it needs to be able to resolve its moral and ethical decisions within itself, she says. And I think this is also a truth. With reference to its sacred teachings and its sacred text, it is not up to the government to make those decisions on behalf of the religious community. And with, I have complete agreement. She's got to the, she's got to the point here. But they've put themselves in the position where... The piper, the person who pays the piper, can call the tune. Yes. She says, ultimately, this is why issues of religious freedom are so substantial for faith-based schools. And I think she's right. She says, faith-based schools are placed places of education and learning. She says, but there are also communities that educate in the context in which the spiritual life of a child is nurtured and the convictions and belief of a faith community are upheld. I again agree. What she's talking about there is what I imagine Sunday school is like. That's what Sunday schools used to be for, and Mm. the churches gave up their Sunday schools when there was the money to run schools. It's a question of power and influence Mm. and political influence. And she goes on to say, and again, I'm I'm praising her for this because she's telling it as it is, this particularly means that the staff of the school the people who most substantially represent and carry forward the school's culture and the ethos, need wholly to support those convictions. Again, she has a point. You want Sunday school teachers to believe in God. (laughs) It also means school must have a freedom to shape its community life according to those beliefs. This is why schools exist and parents have the option of choosing that particular perspective. It's like the freedom that is afforded to political parties, she says. She's now going off, and this is interesting. She says, this freedom of religion is the same as the freedom of politics, she says. Mm. Political parties become a nonsense if they are forced to employ people who are fundamentally disagree with their philosophy or expound contrary views, even if only in their private life. Yeah, but I think, as Jean would say at this point, I'm sure, um, you're talking about a different sort of knowledge. You're talking about a different sort of human interaction. The spiritual thing is, and I'm sure, Annette would say, a special type of interaction. And everything she said, everything she said, I absolutely agree with, except for one qualification. She can do it without my money. And that's not just a question of me being stingy. That's a question of principles. Because if I pay for her to shape her faith-based community and employ people who only wholly support the convictions of her organisation, if I do that, then I am complicit. And I do not believe what Annette believes. The sad thing about this, Robert, is that over the centuries there were groups, there were religious Christian groups that worked this out, and they worked out that the voluntarist principle, you put your money where your mouth is, is quite central. They were the Quakers and the Baptists and the Free Presbyterians and a few others. Oh, and indeed in Australia, I think the Catholic Church up to 1968 was forced to take that position. They didn't like it, but they had to. Well, they took it in the the 1870s and 80s because the state was demanding certain standards of their teachers and their curriculum, and they didn't Mm. agree with the curriculum. But they didn't expect to be out in the cold for 80 years, and they spent that 80 years getting political uh, clout. Uh, And that is how the Catholic Church has worked all through the ages. Don't expect it to be anything else. But there are other Christian groups that did work out that the way forward was the voluntarist principle. And the tragedy here in Australia is that the Quakers and the Baptists and the Presbyterians and a few others, when the money was there, they grabbed it. The Catholic Church has has always been quite consistent in its belief that the state should pay them the money and they should tell the state how to um, conduct its morality. There's nothing unusual about that and they are completely consistent. It's the Protestant groups 
that in fact have been inconsistent and have been there when the money is been rolling in and hasn't it rolled in. They're quite happy in the end for the Catholics to uh, do their dirty work. Indeed. Um, just, just to add to this whole sort of question, which I find quite disturbing in many ways, um, Australians for Separation of Church and State are an interesting group, and they've, um, they do a fair bit of research into the Australian Christian Lobby. Mm. Australian Christian Lobby just recently put out a very interesting press release. And for me, uh, Jean, I think, and Jean, I think this, this might be a little bit disturbing. They say, and, um, that they say, and I, for, for me, this is a watershed in 2018. This, this is all about the 17th century coming back, as far as I'm concerned. They say, Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. And you, Prime Minister Scott Morrison, said those words in his maiden speech in February 2008. Our Prime Minister stated Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Now, that statement remains true and must guide the debate, according to the Australian Christian Lobby, as we as a nation consider the implications of religious freedom in light of the same-sex marriage and radical review. It is vital, they say, where we start from, and that is where we finish. Australia is not a secular country. They state, secularism is a much-debated term. Its origins are Christian, so they're saying that secularism itself is, 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 is a Christian concept. Well, it's more, a bit more complicated than that. Your father's your expert on that, Robert. Well, uh, well I, I, can, I, can, I, can, um, I can get him on the program next secular, week, perhaps. Yeah, secular's not necessarily non-religious, mm. non-religious it, but it's certainly a separation of religion from the state, which is a very basic freedom, Mr Morris. Mm. And they go back to the Constitution, Jane, the Australian yes, Christian exactly. Lobby. They say it's manifest that Australia is, an, is not an a-religious nation. The founding words of our constitution says, whereas the people of New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, Queensland, Tasmania, humbly rely on the blessings of an almighty God, have agreed to unite in one indissoluble federal commonwealth. Oh, just a moment. And they're saying that that is a Christian statement, so we are a Christian country. I am telling you, Jean, that there are people out there that are now fighting the, the old... Wars of religion. They're well, that, back. They, it goes back, in fact, to 1898 and the Constitutional Convention. And perhaps they should be told that when the um, religious men uh, in their theological halls who had learnt nothing and forgotten nothing demanded that the recognition should, of God should go into the Constitution, that enabled... Higgins to get section 116 into the constitution because people were worried that once again the churches would come back and want money from the Commonwealth and how right they were. Our tragedy is that section 116 has been read down and out of the constitution in the dog's case in 1981. However, it's still there. Indeed. And we're coming now to the end of our program, unfortunately, Jane. Um, I'm sorry sorry to get you so hot on the collar, but for me, this is craziness. They're not even talking about give money to religion. They're saying give money to Christian schools because we are a Christian country. The wars of religion are coming back. And on that note, um, you can check out everything we talked about on our website, www.adogs.info. It's www.adogs.info. Um, and until next week, when we have to go through this whole thing again, because state schools still need fighting for We haven't won yet, but we will. Hope is long. Um, after 30 years, I think we'll get there in the next couple. I've got a funny feeling. But anyway, uh, we have to defend government schools next week because government schools are the only schools in Australia that are free, secular and universal. They don't kick no one out because no one wants to sleep with no one else. That's no one's business in a state school. Um, the private schools, of course, have their own business. But in a state school, no one's business. That's the glory of a state school system that is free, secular and universal. But until next week, from Gene, myself and Dale, um, it's bye for now. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending.
Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really school. concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly uh, assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long don't necessarily start off with a Positive great Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. 